invite you to turn the Word of God this evening to Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15. Melanie was talking recently about, you know, if something happened to you, I wouldn't know what hymns you would want at your funeral, or, you know, all these details haven't quite been ironed out or discussed. And, um, well, I didn't give her an answer, because we didn't really go on to uh, finalize anything, but I'd be quite happy if we sang, and this is easy to remember if you have our hymnal, number 20 and number 220. We sang both of them today, one this morning and one tonight. I sang both of those at my funeral, then if I am permitted to, as Dr. Caver used to talk about, looking over the battlements of heaven and see what's going on, <laughs> I'd be very pleased that that was what was being sung. So we have just the thoughts of his mercy, his mercy. Both of them have similar ideas, being children brought into the family of God, themes of adoption, and we just, we can never get enough of that, can we, being adopted, brought into God's family, so wonderful indeed. Luke chapter 15, we have here a very familiar portion of God's word, we, we're looking from verse 11 through to the end. I'm going to take time to read the entirety of the chapter. If you bear with me, and I'm sure you'll not be arguing against it. It's a tremendous portion of God's Word. Luke chapter 15, let's hear the Word of the Lord from verse 1. Then drew near unto him all the publicans and sinners for to hear him. And the Pharisees and scribes murmured, saying, This man receiveth sinners and eateth with them. And he spake this parable unto them, saying, What man of you, having an hundred sheep, if he lose one of them, doth not leave the ninety and nine in the wilderness, and go after that which is lost, until he find it? And when he hath found it, he layeth it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he cometh home, he calleth together his friends and neighbors, saying unto them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. I say unto you, that likewise joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repenteth, more than over ninety and nine just persons which need no repentance. Either what woman, having ten pieces of silver, if she lose one piece, doth not light a candle and sweep the house and seek diligently till she find it? And when she hath found it, she calleth her friends and her neighbors together, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the peace which I had lost. Likewise I say unto you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner that repenteth. And he said, A certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. And he divided unto them his living. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country, and there wasted his substance with riotous living. When he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in that land, and he began to be in want. And he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would fain have filled his belly with the husks that the swine did eat, 
and no man gave unto him. And when he came to himself, he said, How many hired servants of my father's have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee, and I am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight, and I'm no more worthy to be called thy son. But the father said to his servants, Bring forth the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet, and bring hither the fatted calf and kill it. Let us eat and be merry, for this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. Now his elder son was in, was in the field, and as he came and drew nigh to the house, he heard music and dancing, and he called one of the, the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said unto him, Thy brother is come, and thy father hath killed the fatted calf, because he hath received him safe and sound. He was angry and would not go in. Therefore came his father out and entreated him. And he answering said to his father, Lo, these many years do I serve thee. Neither transgressed I at any time thy commandment. And yet thou never gavest me a kid that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this thy son was come, which hath devoured thy living with harlots, thou hast killed for him the fatted calf. And he said unto him, Son, thou art ever with me, and all that I have is thine. It was meet that we should make merry and be glad, for this thy brother was dead and is alive again, and was lost and is found. Amen. May the Lord bless the public reading of his precious word. Let's bow together in prayer and seek the Lord for his help. God, we're glad that we come and we all have our story of thy intervention in our lives, that God receives prodigals. We're like that bird that the fowler seeks to ensnare, and we've escaped the way. Oh, praise God. Praise God, we're, we're free, and we fly into the arms of Jesus, and we're safe forever, and nothing can change it. Nothing can alter our standing, our condition. And Lord, we, we simply say, thank you, Lord, for saving our souls. Thank you, Lord, for making us whole. Thank you, Lord, for giving to me, to us, Thy great salvation, so rich and so free. As we think very simply upon this well-known portion of Thy Word, give help and light, but above all, give us all something to go away with. A word from the Lord. It's not eloquence we depend on. We don't need another perfectly organized sermon merely. We need a word from God. Please, Lord, speak. Save. We 
We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it's been some weeks since last we were in Luke chapter 15, so if you can bear with me just for a few minutes, I'll go over what we have before us here. Our Lord, as the great evangelist, is constantly giving himself to the preaching of the Word. And he loves to communicate that Word, especially to those that long to hear it. And what we find through the ministry of our Lord Jesus Christ is that often it's the common people that hear him gladly. Now, there are various ways in which we can look at that. Are they hearing him because they have a real love for him? Or are they hearing him because every so often he says things that attack the religious elite? And so, in one sense, he feels a little like them because he attacks those that make them feel small and uh, in. in, in is insignificant within their community. So he, he, gives, he gives his attention to those that, that, that give ear to his words. And in this portion, we are told that there are those publicans and sinners that draw near unto him to hear him. And he preaches the word, teaches them the word. And as the Pharisees and scribes watch on, one of the things that bug them is how this rabbi, this teacher who is evidently gifted and knowledgeable, would would do something they would never do. That is, give attention to the low individuals in society as, as they were perceived by the Pharisees. Why would he give attention to them? Why would he care what their opinion was? Why, why not spend his time delving into the deep aspects of doctrine and, and the Word of God and making time for debate and discussion with, with us? Why, why does he go near to them? And no doubt part of it, as we find out later, is driven by envy. They're envious that while they have their little cliques, that ultimately they can see the benefit and they can see value in the multitudes that are gathering around the Lord Jesus Christ and the influence that He is wielding over them as they pay attention to the Word. They would not be seen dead with publicans and Sinners, prostitutes, tax collectors, whatever category you wish to describe may be seen on the low scale on, in that time and generation. They, they would never, ever give attention to these people. They had no time for them whatsoever, and yet he's lingering among them and teaching them and instructing them, and, and they just do not understand why. Well, as they make their criticism... They say, this man receiveth sinners and eateth with them. And it's, it's, it's meant to be derogatory. It's, it's meant to be a statement of, why would anyone do this? And our Lord, as, as I love, and I'm sure you love as well, he, he takes this and he says, yes, that's true. But it's true to a degree that you don't even understand that he has this interest in sinners that they can't compute. It simply doesn't register why he would have an interest in these people. And Christ goes on to explain through the parable that he has not just a kind of fleeting interest, but a deep, profound longing to save them. So in the parable that he gives... It has three aspects to us. You have that of the, if it's easy for you to remember, you have the lost sheep, the lost silver, and the lost son. And we've looked at the first two. 
And what I detailed to you many weeks ago, back in November, I must have been, uh, was that there's a connection here, a connection in what is going on. This is all one unit of teaching, and in one aspect, the Lord Jesus saying that, that He goes after those sinners that are wayward and lost, or we might say they're out in the world. Those that are away, far away, lost, hopelessly lost. He is interested in them. He will leave everything and go after them. But by the same token, then He paints a scene of home, where the woman has lost a coin and she's searching at home. Something is lost at home. What I suggest it to you is going on here is, is, is two aspects of his work, going after that which is out in the wilderness, also seeking for that which is close to home, and then he pulls together both those things in what we commonly refer to as the prodigal son, the story of the prodigal son. Because in that case, you have again two sons. It lays out, this is not just about one son. A certain man had two sons. One is like the sheep. He's out in the wilderness, totally lost. The other is at home, but he's still lost. And so, when we come to verse 11 and following, we have the pulling together of these, the, what we've already considered. So, there's a lot of application that doubles up here. The things that we have considered, and I, I'm not going to spend my entire evening here kind of telling you things we've already discussed. If you're not here for those other two messages, you can find them online and I trust they'll be encouraging to you. But before we proceed to look at verses 11 and following, and just glean some thoughts here, there, there, remember that this, this is a Jewish story, all right? It's in the setting of, of first century in Israel, and there are people with a certain mentality and understanding of how things should be done. And so, it's not just a story that is disconnected from Jewish life, there is, I, I, I think, and this is more suggestion to you, but it would seem to me that there's something going on here that maybe isn't at the, the pinnacle of what the Lord is teaching, but is, is undergirding what He is saying. In Deuteronomy chapter 21, we are given instruction in the law with regard to uh, dealing with inheritance, and then immediately following that, how one might deal with rebellious and stubborn sons. They're back to back, right there in the heart of Deuteronomy chapter 21. And what you have in this, in this story here is, is similar things. You have the whole idea of inheritance, and you have also the idea of, of stubborn sons. Those are rebellious who go away and, and, and show this complete disdain for home life. In Deuteronomy 21, verse 15 to 17, what it deals with is protecting the double inheritance for the firstborn. Now, what is it that the elder son is concerned about? That the younger son is getting too much favor. He has come and asked for his inheritance, and then he comes back, and it seems that he is reinstated, and that seems far too generous. And so he feels attacked. And so the closing language is actually reassuring, no, you're the firstborn. That's not going to change how you're dealt with. But with regard to the aspect of rebellion, Deuteronomy 21, 18 through 21, there's, there's language there that protects, protects families from stubborn, rebellious children that would jeopardize the family by their sin. It's, it's very short, and because of the shortness of it, sometimes people might read it and think, this seems awfully harsh. 
Uh, I mean, how stubborn, how rebellious are they being? But, but, but what it's giving is this right for families to take children that are harming, they're doing serious damage to the home, and take them to the court. And ultimately, if it's bad enough, that they will be executed for, for what they are doing. So it's very serious. But in this portion, we don't find the Lord dealing that way, or at least the story that he tells. The father, the father has this stubborn, rebellious son. He doesn't take him to the court. He doesn't take him to the elders for, for the worst to be dealt out. And, and I, I think, if this is all tying in here, what the Lord is teaching, what the Lord is teaching is something that, again, the Pharisees didn't understand. In their effort to strictly adhere to the law, often, unless it was convenient for them, often there was no, no place for, for grace, no, no, no place for mercy. It was the strict adherence to the letter of the law. And what the Lord is showing here is you don't always have to followed strictly to the law. Now, that sounds like I'm saying you can break the law. That's not what I mean. That is not what I mean. I'm not saying, like, Christ is allowing people to go and do whatever you like. But there are cases. Take, for example, divorce. Just because someone may do something that is worthy by the law to, to be divorced doesn't mean to say someone has to pursue divorce. Okay? We understand that. They can, they can forgive. They can be gracious and merciful, and they can, they can bring in, and there can be restoration and all the rest. We understand that. And it's the same. It is the same here. And the father displays, rather than taking his rebellious son who's wreaking havoc in family life and order, and taking him to the court to see whether he's, he's worthy of punishment, he instead allows room for repentance and restoration and forgiveness. And again, this doesn't make sense to the Pharisees. It makes no sense. They have no space for that. They have no room for that, unless, of course, it's mercy for themselves. But with regard to outside their little clique and outside their little group, there is no place. They are strict. They are tight. They are to the letter of everything, even when they could, they could show leniency and mercy. And in this story that I'm saying, there's a possibility undergirding this. It's not just how he is seeking for lost souls, but the way in which he does so with this patience and mercy that permeates how he deals with the son who goes out into the world as well as the son who is at home. This is a lesson for us. We, we have to be very careful there's a time we, we all have to do the right thing, but we have to be careful that we aren't being exacting at times when we should be more generous, that we're not coming down hard when we have opportunity to, to be, just to step back and, and give space for, for mercy and grace and kindness. Now, that can be taken advantage of. I know that. And sometimes it's not we're... We're saying we're being merciful and patient when what we're actually being is cowards. That, that happens too. Now, only the Lord knows the motive that undergirds. So sometimes people say, I'm being merciful to this person. No, you're not. You're being a coward. You, you're, you will not do what the right thing is to do because you're cowardly. But, but there's a place for mercy. 
And so this, this kind of, the arms of mercy are all around the language here. And as I say, <laughs> the, the Pharisees just, they, they have no place for this. None of this makes any sense. Why? Why wouldn't, why would the Father even hate his desire for inheritance? There's nowhere in the Old Testament law that gives regulates giving inheritance before the father dies. You can check this, but I think the only example we have, which, which may allow for it then, is Abraham. Abraham, before he dies, he gives what Isaac deserves, the vast bulk of his wealth and everything is given to Isaac, and then also he gives to the sons of his concubines. I think it's Genesis 25. So, so there is a little bit of precedent there, but in the law, there is not. There isn't this, before you're dead, you're going to allocate inheritance to your sons. It's not there. So the Pharisees would be looking at this. Why would this man do this? He wouldn't do this. He wouldn't do this. Not if he was a right-thinking Jewish man, like one of us. He wouldn't do it. And everything else that follows. So, we want to look at these verses. And again, I can't look at every single verse in depth with you. But there's just a very simple way of looking at this. And we're considering under the title, Christ's love for sinners far and near. Christ's love for sinners far and near. We're pulling in that whole idea of those who are out in the wilderness as well as those who are at home. Christ has a love for sinners far and near. And if you remember nothing else, or if you, and there's a little bit of heat here, I think tonight, maybe I'm either, I'm overly active, but <laughs> it's a little warm in here tonight. If you're feeling that and you're thinking, I'm about to drift off, let me just put a little seed in before you drift off and switch off from the preacher. Please remember that this is not truth that is vetted in, in the context of what happened 2,000 years ago and has no application now. It's true now. Jesus Christ is interested and goes after sinners far and near. And that's not just by your estimation, but anyone's estimation. The Lord has a love for sinners. When you engage with the world, Christian, make sure, make sure in your faithful communication of truth that there's also a sense of love. There's love. So, two main points. His love for the, the far sinners, you call it salacious sinners, that describes the kind of life that the prodigal lives. We come to verse 11. He said, A certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. And he divided unto them his living. So, I mean, this, this is just... You, you wouldn't do this. Not in that culture. You wouldn't do it. I mean, you, 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 wouldn't, you wouldn't want it to be done now. But, but this, this his, his going away... His going away has already happened in his heart. All right? He, he hasn't left home yet, but in his heart he has. That's why he's requesting the inheritance, because it's part of the bigger plan. All right? He, he's doing it in stages. Okay? He's, he's craftily negotiating the whole matter. He's trying to control everything, as if his father can't see through what he's doing. Put it into real terms. The father knows exactly what is in his heart, because you can see it. You can see the distancing. You can, see, you can see the sun beginning to become distant. 
You open the Bible, he's there in body, but he's not really there and not engaged. He comes to the synagogue, but but he's not really engaged. And you're singing and praying, but there's no real engagement. The Father can see it. See it. It's breaking his heart. And the months and the years pass, and the Father is seeing it constantly. It's like, oh God, please, please, please draw him nearer. And so when he finally comes, he makes requests for the inheritance. All the fears of the Father are, are coming. They're coming home to his heart. They're coming home. I remember a dear godly man and elder in our church, and he, seven children, and they seemed to be walking with God, very godly, by all my estimation, a godly family. But there was, there was one there, and in the teens and into the twenties, there was, it was clear that he, he was like the prodigal. He was still at home. He still, he still came to church. He, he, had, he was at church, Sunday school, morning worship, evening worship, midweek prayer meeting. He wasn't permitted. Under his father's roof, he was going to be there. But you could see it. You could see it. It's written all over him, just distant. He wasn't really there. One day he came to his parents and he said, next week will be my last week. I'm leaving home. And I remember them telling me the story. He and the father and his, his wife, they, they, he was old enough, they couldn't stop him. They, they began to fast and pray all that week. They fasted and they prayed. and Because they, they knew, they knew. If he leaves... If, he's, if he walks out of our door, it'll be no time. He will not be at the house of God, not under the means of grace, and we may lose him forever. So they fasted and they prayed that whole week, and they begged God, please, Lord, intervene. And in the course of that week, the very next Lord's Day, he came, last thing he said to them at night was, by the way, plans have changed. I'm not going anywhere. A few months later, the Lord saved them and changed his life. He married a godly girl and carries on now living for the Lord. But always stuck out. I could see it. Everybody could see it. You could see it. See, it's just, he's there, but he's, he's not there. Well, it was true here too. It was true here too. And the father's watching. And he comes and he says, give me my inheritance. And all the fears, as I say, they're all coming into his heart but he gives in. And this is, again, this, this wouldn't be norm, the norm here. He divided unto them his living. Verse 13, And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together and took his journey. He takes his inheritance, probably has to sell it for money in some manageable... He can't, you know, he can't take the fields with him. He can't take the land. can't take the cattle. can't take whatever it is. He can't put that in his pocket. So off he goes to the market someday and he sells it all for a big bag of gold, and off he goes to the big city. He takes his journey into a far country. Oh, isn't this the story of so many? And there wasted his substance with riotous or reckless, loose living, salacious living. I, I like how, as the Lord is detailing the story here, that he, he doesn't give the details here. It kind of shines a light on something because how do we know what's involved here? 
Where do we learn from of that, how he actually lived? It's when his elder brother is making commentary, isn't it? He's the one that divulges all the dirty details. He takes pride in letting everyone know how the, the Lord, you see, kind of covers it up. He's not wanting to put the awfulness on the show. He's not wanting it all to be public and the, the, the horrors of it all be made known. He's, he's mercifully. See, love covers a multitude of sins. There's, you don't need to give all the gory details. Oh, this is, this is, it's, it's, it's just, you look at this, you think of, you think of like, you know, why, why did he leave? Why, why, why is he leaving in the first place? Because, because later on, when he starts talking to himself about, there's, there's, nothing, there's nothing in his comments about the father that would seem to indicate he had any real grudge against the father, is there? See, when he, start, when he comes to himself, verse 17, he, he talks about how his hired servants are cared for, and he can go on back to him, and, you know, I'm not worthy to be called thy son. There's nothing here that indicates there's a problem with the father. If there is an outward influence upon him, if it's something other than what was going on in his heart, if there's something pushing him out, again, it's the elder brother. It's the elder brother. The elder brother, the one who's proud and, and looks with disdain down his nose at his younger brother, and, and nothing he ever does is right. See, the elder brother, his spirit can be in the, in the body of Christ. And, and sometimes when our young people go away, and we want to say it's their own carnal hearts and their worldly desires, and certainly, certainly all of that is there. But in addition to it, sometimes it's the influence of God's people in the family, in the church. It's like they just they drive them away. It's just constantly driving them away, saying things that give them encouragement to gather up everything and leave. I hope that's never true of you or of me or of this church in general. But, but he, has, he, has, he is reckless. Not, not once does he think about God. He is heartless. Not once does he think about his father. He is thoughtless. Not once does he give consideration to the consequences of his actions. This, this is young people. We see it, don't we? we you, have, you have your own stories, don't you? Of young people, and this is reckless, heartless, thoughtless. Off they go. You just want to grab them and stop, stop. But you can't. Off they go. Ah, living it up. Yes. Oh, there was instant appeal in that life in the far country, wasn't there? The new relationships. You know, here's this young guy come. You know, he has a favored background. He comes, from, he comes from a certain amount of wealth and favor. It's all over his face. He has a certain air about him of being favored. And he walks into the city and he has, he has all this money and wealth and he immediately is popular. All people want to be his friend. He's starting to try out things, experiment, things he didn't, he'd only ever heard of. He's starting to live out all that his imagination was given to there in the Father's house. Where he thought about it, oh, it would be nice to just be out there. I've heard these stories. I've read about what goes on there. I, there's something. I, I'd love to just try it. So off he goes. And 
fulfills all his carnal desires, gives himself to every fleshly longing, and oh, he's, he's popular. But while there's an instant appeal that he sees when he goes into that far country, there's also what we might say an inevitable famine. Verse 14, when he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in that land, and he began to be in want. One thing he never bargained for was the providence of God. It never came into his head. Never thought about how God might completely upset my plans. You see, Christians have their plans upset sometimes, don't we? We make plans and the Lord upsets them. But because our allegiance is to his will, we say, okay, Lord, this is best. I'm letting go. It's all right. I know all things work together for good to them that love you, Lord. So faith rises beyond what can be seen. And we say, this is good. This is what I want. It's not what I plan for, but I know it is good. But those who are running from God don't. They, they don't. They, they make their plans and think they're all going to come exactly as they desire. You see the love of God. I want you to see that this is, this is love acting and it's like intervening. A mighty famine. It's, it's kind of indicating it's like divine intervention. This isn't just a normal famine. This is designed to crush him. To crush him. To crush him. To crush everyone he thinks he can depend upon. To, to crush the whole, every plan he has, all his circumstances just fall apart. His whole life slips like sand through his fingers. And he suffers. What does he suffer? He suffers humiliation. Doesn't he? he the loss of everything. He, here's a man who had his whole inheritance. And he began to be in want. He's barely, he's barely away. I don't know how long he was away for. It seems like very quickly he is brought to want. Sometimes we imagine that great inheritances will, will last multiple generations. They seldom do, you know. They seldom do. Great inheritances barely get beyond three generations. I'm talking massive inheritance here, not, you know, a few hundred thousand dollars. I'm talking millions upon millions upon millions, even billions, can be burned through one or two generations. Very, very easily. Happens all of the time. And he is finding this out, that it's not sure. He thought he was set up for life. But no, he has humiliation, hunger, hunger. Ultimately, we find out that he is, verse 15, went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. The citizen of that country is Gentile. He has no thought of Jewish uh, decorum or law or whatever. He's like, I have a job for you. Go out there. And he doesn't care. This is what he is brought to. So he is, he is now suffering hunger. He would fain have filled his belly with the husks that the swine did eat, and no man gave unto him. Oh, now, now where are all your friends? Where are all the people that you spent time with? Where are they now? No man gave unto him. No man. Couldn't find anyone. And there's isolation then, isn't there? Because there's no man. No one there. Left alone. I'll tell you, it's lonely. You young people, you, I mean, you're probably more aware of some of the details of celebrities, probably far more informed than I am. But I hear the odd thing. You can't, it's 
miss it often that's you check the headlines for the day and it's right there. Another celebrity gone. Now they had money and they had fame and attention and they had they apparently had friends. And yet many of them the loneliest people. The loneliest people. Oh, and how many of them are just like, just like, just like the prodigal? Because many of them would, if they told their story, they'd say, yes. I'm the child of a Baptist preacher. I was singing in the, in the choir in church as a child. At some point, they just got up, walked away, left it all for a big dream that turned into an even bigger nightmare. You know, the sad thing is, many of them can't find their way back. They can't find their way back. God, in His mercy here for this prodigal, He brings a famine. It becomes something He is using then. And then there's an impossible journey. An impossible journey because this is so hard. Verse 17, when He came to Himself, it's like He has to have this kind of experience to wake up. I mean, you, you, you grew up here. Obviously, it should be the first thing you're thinking. Before you're going to this certain citizen of the country, you should be going home. I mean, why, why are you doing it now? You should have, it should be the first thing you did when you're in trouble. Go back home. But it's hard to make that journey. You're the big guy. You walked out on your own, and your pride will not let you go back and say, I am sorry, I messed up. So it's impossible accepting grace. God's grace is working in his life. And so he comes to himself, how many hired servants of my fathers have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee. Never be afraid to say that. Never be afraid to say I have sinned. I think, I think sometimes we're scared to say that. I have sinned. And yet, this, this, is, this is what God wants to hear. This is what Jesus is, is, is communicating. He, he's saying to the Pharisees, this is why... This is why I spend time with them. This is why I I give them attention because they come to me and they say, Lord, I have sinned. And you won't. You won't say it. I have sinned against heaven and before thee, verse 19, and I'm no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. Yes, how difficult it is to get here and even to say, I don't even want to be reinstated. You know, if, if there's a low part of heaven, <laughs> if there's a low part, some, some, and there isn't, but if there was some little shadowy part of heaven for, for the lowest, you'd take it all day long. And whatever might be the best part of hell, Whatever place he has for me, that's where I want to be. I'm not asking for anything great. 
Oh no, I've, I'm, I'm, I've long learned the lesson. Don't make demands of the Father. Whatever He's offering, take that and be thankful. So the result of leaving, the reception and returning. What is the reception and returning? Verse 20. He arose and came to his father. He makes that journey. And just to stop, I want you to see the scene. This emaciated figure. He's been starving. He left home with that, that kind of glow of health. It's a glow of health, young, strong, attractive, wealthy. He's coming back penniless, gaunt, half dead. But what happens? But when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him. Great way off. God will bless this man like Moses, whereas I did not. Even as no man could still see way out, and he could, you know, that, that frame, that frame was far more frail than it was when it left. And there isn't the same spring in the step. But he knows the gate of that walk. He knows that silhouette. For he has spent every night, every night since he left his, left his father, the father spent every night praying for the day that he would return. And every day he goes out there and just scans his eye across the horizon. Maybe it will be today. Maybe you'll hear my prayer today, Lord. Maybe today will be the day that my son will come home. He will keep looking. That's what prayer does. True prayer doesn't just pray and walk away from the prayer. True prayer brings the prayer to God and then with expectation waits for it. It's like looking for the answer. Because you're a God who hears prayer. Although they hear his prayer, unto thee all flesh come. And I come, Lord. My son, I don't know where he is. I don't even know if he's alive. Lord, would you bring him back? Bring him back. So every day he's out there ordering his servants and conducting his affairs, but he's looking. Just looking. And then, lo and behold, he is there one day. When he was yet a great way off, verse 20, his father saw him and had compassion. <laughs> we read it, so I'll skip forward just in your mind. What was the first response of the elder brother when he hears what's going on? He was angry. You're meant to see the difference. You're meant to see the difference because Jesus is the Father. He's the one who's having compassion. And when the others are angry and they're upset and they're saying, 
Why does he eat with sinners and receive them? Why, why would he do this? They're angry. They have no time for it. And Jesus is saying, because, because I have something you don't have. Compassion. Compassion. His father saw him and had compassion. And ran. <laughs> yes, see him running. See that old man running. Maybe he can't really run anymore. But he's, he's going to give it a good go. <laughs> that reminds me of my many years ago. Sorry, Mom. <laughs> she watches, listens in. But when I was about seven or eight, and my mom wasn't the sportiest mom. It's not like, you know, she was you know, going out running every day or anything like that. But when I was about seven or eight years of age, I stepped out kind of almost in front of a car. It just, it kind of, it, it, I didn't see it coming, and it came, and it, one leg went out, and it hit one leg, hit my left leg. And if I had taken another step, I'd have been right in front of that car, and who knows what happened. So I get hit with this car, and I, I kind of stumble across to the, the side of the street, and, you know, traffic stops, some man comes and asks me, you know, what's your name? Do you have a number for your home? Can I get in touch with one of your parents? And I give him my phone number, and he calls, and my mom, thankfully, is at home, and she answers. <laughs> Well, I can still, I can still see her. It's like one of the few things I can still remember is looking down that street, like laid up against the wall with what turned out to be torn ligaments. Thankfully, that was all it was. But I can look down that street and I can see my mom running with my sister in tow, like with the arm, like dragging her and like running, sprinting as fast. I'd never seen her do that before. I was like, wow. And <laughs> I don't ever remember seeing that. But that was love. That's what it was. Love made her do what she wouldn't normally do. Run. Because she had no idea what she was going to see. She just heard your son's been in an accident. And you run. That's what parents do. Well, he runs. He runs. He's excited. He doesn't want the son to be misunderstanding what's going on. He wants him to know that this is happy. This is a happy occasion. He fell on his neck and kissed him. No, just, just grabs him, falls on him, sobs, sobs. Hear the sobs. The tears are flowing. And the son said unto him, remember he had, his, he had his whole speech set up, what he was going to say. I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight, and I'm no more worthy to be called thy son. But the father, he doesn't even listen. No, 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 that's not how it's going to be. That's not how it's going to be. You're not coming in here to be lesser. You're being reinstated. You're, you're, a, you're a child of mine. You belong, you belong here and you belong to me. I prayed for this day, not that you might come to some lesser position. You're, being, you're a son. That's what you are. That's what you will always be. That's what the Lord does. That's what the Lord does. These, these sinners that go out into the world... He brings them back in, and he doesn't give them some second-rate place where, where others who maybe didn't go into those sins, they can say, well, they don't have as high a position as me. No, 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 he's, he's, he's a son. He's a son. And reinstates him. I, I love it. And there's immediately, skipping down, verse 22, these are all symbols of the reinstatement of his sonship. 
bring forth the best robe, put it on him, put a ring in his hand, shoes in his feet. And you see the state he's coming in. He's nothing. Bring hither the fatted calf, kill it, let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again, was lost and is found, and they began to be merry. That's the reception. That's equivalent to what he was saying about in verse 7. Likewise, joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repenteth. We have to celebrate this. The whole of heaven celebrates this. Christ leads the way in the celebration. This is great. I shed my blood. I went to Calvary for this. I went to the cross to die for stories like this. It's glorious. So Jesus is saying, I'm like this. I'm like this Father. I find this to be the most joyous thing. Before I move on, if you're here tonight and you're like this son and you may not be in the world quite yet, but your heart is there, I beg you to reconsider your plans for your life. You're not in your right mind. Very quickly, his love for self-righteous sinners. Not just the salacious, but the self-righteous. Verse 25. Now his elder son was in the field. And as he came and drew nigh to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said unto him, Thy brother is come, and thy father hath killed the fatted calf, because he hath received him safe and sound. And he was angry. Right? See it? No compassion. Anger. Anger. These are the Pharisees. These are the self-righteous. And would not go in. He wouldn't go in. He wouldn't go and celebrate. He wouldn't come in to the place of salvation and celebration and joy. One sinner's repented. And where is it? It's joy. It's joy in heaven, isn't it? It's joy in heaven. So, so if you won't go in where the joy is, it's, a, it's, it's like saying, you're not going to go into heaven. That's what, he's, that's what he's doing here. He's staying out of heaven. Symbolic. But again, the father doesn't just leave him to stew in his anger. Therefore came his father out and entreated him. He's doing the same thing. He's coming out. He's coming out, son, son, come on, come in. And he answering said to his father, Lo, these many years do I serve thee. Neither transgressed I at any time thy commandment, and yet thou never givest me a kid that I might make merry with my friends. Now you see, you see, you see what's going on here. The younger son had a sense of, of what he deserved, and his pride caused him to go to the father and say, Give me my inheritance. And he went away, but he learned his lesson. And he came back, and when he's coming back, he's, he's out of position, as we said. He's not making de- demands. No demands. Just give me, give me the lowest place where the father is. I'm happy there. But the elder brother hasn't learned this. He hasn't learned it. He's still making demands. The demands are different. But there's still demands, because he has expectations. Lo, these many years do I serve thee. 
I, I, look, look at what I have done. Look, look. This is like, again, the, the picture the Lord will tell later in Luke where the, the Pharisee and the publican, and they both go to the temple, and the Pharisee's there praying with himself. Lord, I thank Thee I am not like this man. I fast twice in the week. Look what I've done. Jesus says, it's the man at the back who can't so much lift up his head to heaven or beats upon his breast and says, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. That man goes home justified. So he's fitting the same description. Exactly the same thing. Look at my works. Look at my accomplishment. Look what I have done. I deserve something. Yet thou never gavest me a kid that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this thy son was come, which hath devoured thy living with harlots, thou hast killed for him the fatted calf. See, see, the elder brother at some point had made inquiry. What's he up to? Sent messengers to the far country. Find out what he's doing. Use it as ammunition. You know, make himself look better. He was ready for this moment, so he thought. And the father said unto him, Son, thou art ever with me, and all that I have is thine. I am obligated to the firstborn. You have what I have. You have the same access, the same privileges. It is to the Jew first and also to the Greek, as it were. There, God is not cutting them off, as, as it were. He, Christ has come. He came onto his own. That's the point. He come, he's come to his own, and he is offering salvation. He is putting it before them. Take it. Take it. But they won't have it. And so the self-righteous stands away. He doesn't understand it was meet that we should make merry and be glad for this thy brother was dead and is alive again and was lost and is found. What a narrative of Christ's work for sinners. The vilest sinner who truly believes that moment from Jesus a pardon receives. You can be out engaged in the most awful harlotry, buying your immorality. Doing everything you were taught as a child not to do. As soon as you turn it's not, it's not some narrow little love. It's a big love. It's, it's an unending love with these huge omnipotent arms that just take in these big sinners again with all their big sins and has an answer for every one of them, the blood of Jesus. So you'll be here tonight and you have in your conscience, you have those things you have done, those sins you've committed and you wonder, maybe it's too I am too far gone. Maybe I can't be saved. Perhaps there's no answer for me. Wrong. Wrong, wrong, wrong. The arms of Christ are open just as widely for you. Come. Come. But maybe you're the self-righteous. Maybe you come here and you think, look, look what I've accomplished. Maybe you look down on some of your siblings. You say, oh, look how much better I am than they are. Well, you see what description you fit here. Be very careful. 
bottom line is Christ is after sinners, near and far, and everything in between. He is in the business of saving, of redeeming, of forgiving, of pardoning, of cleansing, of changing, of crowning. You're mine. You'll be a son. A king and a priest unto God. And you'll have no deficiency. No, because my blood has bought for you the right of sonship. Come, come in to this family. The family of God. Oh, will you come? Will you come? My friend, will you come? Come this very night. The Lord will receive you. Let's bow together in prayer. Where you are, seated here in the house of God, the Lord is near. And on this first day of 2023, I say, as I said this morning, this this is a good time to make your peace with God, to put your sins under the blood of Christ. This is a good day. You can say that's when my life began. 1st of January, 2023. I'll never forget it. I heard the gospel again. And I heard that still small voice of God calling me, making me sense it is time to seek the Lord. I felt the tug of the world one direction and the tug of God in the other And I gave my heart to Jesus. Seek Him. Seek Him where you are. Lord, we pray, bless thy word. How thankful we are for our own stories of divine intervention. We plead, O God, that thou wilt multiply the stories in this house. Should there be someone that still does not have their salvation story, that have no expression or testimony of intervening grace. We pray that Thou wilt give it to them this very night. And I pray for those parents who are still interceding for lost children. Let them not give up. Let them be like the man depicted here. It was always looking and always praying and always expecting. Oh Lord, fill the hearts of Your people here with hope. I ask, O God, that you will multiply prayers for the prodigal in this house this year. Give us, Lord, a sight of what thou art able to do. Oh, have we not seen it tonight? The Lord is able. He is able. So, God, we pray, make us, make us to understand how willing thou art to hear our prayers. And may prodigals come home tonight and throughout this year. So, hear our prayers. Bless our time together. Go before us in the week that lies ahead. Watch over us in our going out and coming in. We're thankful that he that keepeth Israel neither slumbers nor sleeps. Oh, strengthen our hearts and empower thy church 
bless the fellowship and hear our prayers. May the grace of our Lord Jesus, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Spirit be with all thy people now and evermore.